Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard of a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Welcome to the Morbid Tourism Podcast, where we talk about cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning. This episode contains descriptions of extreme violence against children. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. If you've ever watched the show Hoarders, you'll have seen how mental health issues can cause a once happy home to turn into little more than a dump. People will buy or scavenge things for years and accumulate stuff that they think is valuable, even though it normally has no value at all and is literally trash. They're obsessed with collecting and holding on to things, needing more and more to fill some empty hole inside of themselves. Usually, this comes from years of trauma themselves, either some form of abuse or a huge loss that has happened to them. And over time, these homes can be completely overrun with filth on the inside, even though from the outside, the homes might appear completely normal. The loved ones of these people who hoard are often shocked by the state of the home, and almost every single one of them says, I had no idea it had gotten this bad. The case I'm going to talk about today is about a married couple who didn't only hoard and collect things, they seemed to hoard their own children. David Turpin and Louise Robinette both grew up in the same church in Princeton, West Virginia during the 1960s and 70s. David's father was a preacher, also named David, and he went by King David, akin to the King David from the Bible. Luisa's family, though also religious, had been very abusive. Her grandfather had sexually abused her mother, Luis herself, and her sisters from a very young age. Not only was her mother aware of the abuse happening to herself and then her daughters, but she often brought them to her father's home in order to get money, essentially prostituting her own daughters to their grandfather for money. Due to this extreme abuse, Luis grew up with a very skewed idea of love and family. She often said growing up that she would have 12 children of her own one day. She was just 10 years old when she met David Turpin at church. Now, David was much older than Luis. He was 18 when they met. But like something out of Lolita, he stated that he knew right then and there that he would marry her. And he was right. When she was 16 and David was 24, they ran away to Fort Worth, Texas, and they cut off contact with their families for a few days while they made the journey. But eventually, before they were able to actually get married, Luis's family got into contact with them and basically begged them to come back to Virginia. 
They agreed only after Luis's father gave his written permission that they could get married. So, back in Virginia on February 11th, 1985, Luis Robinet and David Turpin got married in a very small ceremony. After the wedding, the newlyweds returned to Fort Worth, Texas to start their lives together. Luis never even finished high school. David, he had been really nerdy his whole life, and he was extremely intelligent. He had landed a job at the U.S. defense contractor General Dynamics as a software engineer, and he was making a pretty sizable salary. After about two years doing that, David got transferred to Orange County, California, and in 1987, the Turpins moved to Brea. Around that time, Louise, who was 19 years old, got pregnant, and she was thrilled, and so was David. Louise, like I mentioned, had always talked about having a big family, and it was finally happening for her. On July 28, 1988, she gave birth to the couple's first daughter, who they named Jennifer. The Turpins seemed to be living the American dream, and they sent photos to their families of them bringing little Jennifer to the beach and to Disneyland and doing all of the fun things in Southern California. In 1990, David's job transferred him back to Fort Worth and gave him a pretty substantial pay bump. The Turpins lived in a really nice four-bedroom home in the suburbs and began living somewhat lavishly. They were going out to restaurants a lot, and they were even flying Luis's family out to Fort Worth every year, paying for everything. Luis again became pregnant, and in February of 1992, she gave birth to the couple's second child, a son named John. But... The cracks in the family were already starting, and Luis had developed a penchant for gambling. Just a few months after John was born, the Turpins had maxed out all of their credit cards and amassed a huge amount of debt, and they were forced to file for bankruptcy. In November of 1993, Luis gave birth to their third child, Jessica. By then, the eldest Turpin child, Jennifer, was eight, and she started to go to school. Although her parents had been spending lots of money, it seemed like they were spending little to nothing on their own children. Jennifer would often show up to school wearing the same dirty clothes and seemed to never bathe. Other children teased her about being dirty and smelling, and you know how cruel children can be. It's as if Luis and David would only focus on the newest baby of the family and the older children would kind of be forgotten about and forced to fend for themselves inside the home. And David and Luis, they were just getting started when it came to having children. Luis again gave birth in 1995 to a son that they named Jonathan, bringing the number of children up to four. In order to manage the growing number of children, Luis and David started to get more strict with the young children, imposing more and more rules. There's nothing wrong with setting rules and boundaries for children, that is healthy behavior, but the rules that the Turpin set were beyond standard, beyond strict even. The children had to ask permission to do anything, even go to the bathroom or eat. 
they also had to refer to Luis and David as mother and father. If the children broke any one of the rules, David and Luis would beat the child for however long they felt was appropriate for this infringement. Luis gave birth to baby number five in May of 1997, a girl named Joy. Then a year later, in 1998, she gave birth to baby number six, a girl named Julianne. It seemed that the Turpins still had not gotten a handle on their financial situation, and they continued to spend well above their means. Even though Jennifer would show up to school wearing the same clothes day after day, her closet was full of expensive dresses that she was not allowed to touch. The house was getting filled with unopened toys and clothes, with price tags still attached. And the control over the children grew as well. The rules for these kids got more and more strict until they were essentially not allowed to leave their rooms unless they were given permission. And we're talking about young children here, like toddlers, confined to a single room for hours upon hours every day. In 1999, after months of missed mortgage payments on their Fort Worth home, the bank foreclosed on the Turpins and they were forced to move. The family who bought their Fort Worth home had to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars just to get the home clean enough to live in. They took photos of the filth and it was literally everywhere. The carpets were disgusting, the walls were covered in filth, and it was shocking to them that a family with children had lived in such a state. Yet no one thought to call social services and report the situation. The Turpins moved into a cheaper home that was surrounded by acres of land located at 595 Hill County Road in a pretty rural town called Rio Vista. Rio Vista had a population of less than a thousand. So we're talking small town, lots of farmland, not a lot of people uh, to come and get into your business. Now, this location was still commuting distance for David and would really allow the family to become even more cut off from the outside world. David Turpin decided that the children should be homeschooled. So Jennifer was taken out of school. Jennifer had been the only child to attend school at all, and even though it was obvious to her classmates that she was not bathing regularly and wearing the same clothes day after day, social services were never called and have no record of the Turpins at all. The children's connection to the world outside, to people that could help them, was growing smaller and smaller. Although the seven children were now being homeschooled, the amount of actual teaching and learning that was happening was pretty much non-existent. Instead, the children were locked in their rooms most of the day and basically just left on their own. Jennifer, the eldest, attempted to pass on the small amount of knowledge that she had gained through attending school up to the third grade, but as you can imagine, that wasn't much. The Turpins' new neighbors in Rio Vista tried to befriend them at first. The neighbors had children around the age of the Turpins and thought it would be nice for the kids to all play together, but that did not happen. The Turpin children were not allowed to play with neighbor kids, and they were only allowed to play with each other. When they did run into other children, kind of on their vast property, 
they wouldn't give their names and they acted terrified. They had reason to be fearful. David and Luis's abuse had escalated further and the beatings for breaking the rules had gotten even more intense. David and Luis began using things to beat their children with beyond just their fists. They utilized belts, metal buckets, and wooden paddles if they felt that the children broke the rules. The house became filthy, filled with rotting food, unopened goods, and random filth. The rules that were enforced began to get weirder and weirder as well. The children were now allowed to bathe only once a year, and they would be beaten if they were found to have washed above their wrists. They were only allowed to eat one by one and were fed meager portions of food once a day, while David and Luis often ate full meals of fast food. Then, the family turned nocturnal. The house would be lit up at night, but the children were forced to sleep during the daytime. Even though it seemed like David and Luis did not enjoy raising their children at all, they continued to have more. In November of 2000, Luis gave birth to their eighth child, a girl named Jordan. The house was quickly becoming filthy, just like their past house had been. Since the children had to ask permission to even use the bathroom, they were sometimes not able to get permission and it wasn't uncommon for them to have to defecate inside of their own rooms. The smell coming from that house must have been absolutely unbearable, especially in the hot Texas summers. And the filth was not contained just to inside the house. It started to spill outside of the home too. The Turpins got a huge trailer where they started to dump all of their trash, but they never had the trailer picked up or emptied. So over time, the trash just spilled out over the sides of the trailer and into the yard. In 2002, Louise gave birth to baby number nine, James, and then about a year later, baby number 10, Joanna. So take a second to think about that. They had 10 children, 12 people altogether living in a filthy four-bedroom house. By 2004, the filth in the home had taken over and the Turpins purchased a double-wide mobile home that they had moved onto their property. The entire 12-person family moved into the mobile home and basically they just left all of the junk inside the actual home and let it rot. Can you imagine having a home get so disgusting that instead of even attempting to clean it up, you just move and leave everything there? Of course, the mobile home wasn't kept clean either and filth started to accumulate inside immediately. A little bit after the move into the mobile home, Luis gave birth again to baby number 11, who they named Jolinda. Then, two years later, Luis finally achieved her dream of having 12 children when she gave birth to Julissa in 2006. David and Luis seemed to be overjoyed at their achievement of having a dozen children, even though they weren't caring for the children hardly at all. Instead of caring for them, the children were treated more like criminals. Inside the double wide, David had even built a cage with a padlock that would fit two children at a time. 
If any of the children were found to have broken any of the rules, they would be beaten and placed in the cage for however long David and Luis thought was necessary. And this was more than a timeout. I'm talking about hours and even days at a time of being kept in the cage. When one of the children discovered how to break out of the cage, they bought a dog crate and they would force the children to go into that instead. Now, here's an example of an offense that would get them locked inside the crate. When Joshua was 16 years old, he was locked in the kennel for a full day because he was caught watching a Star Wars movie. After having baby number 12, it seemed like David and Luis lost more and more interest in their own children. They began putting their two eldest children in charge, ordering them to change diapers and feed the other children. The two eldest were also ordered to keep the strict rules and structure that David and Luis had in place. Now keep in mind that this is an awful way of life, but that's all that they had known for years and years at that point. So the eldest children followed the directions of their parents. This allowed Luis and David more freedom to leave the children alone with the eldest two in charge. They would go on gambling trips for days at a time, and eventually David and Luis moved out of the trailer altogether and got their own apartment 40 miles away, bringing only their two youngest babies with them. They left 10 of their children, who had no education, no idea how to live on their own, in a filthy trailer for four years. David would stop by every few days and bring frozen food for the kids to eat, but rarely stayed very long. Luis never visited at all. All. Four years, the children were left to fend for themselves. The eldest children who were in charge later stated that they wanted to confront David and Luis, but by then they were so fearful of their parents after years of abuse and beatings that they were never able to confront them. They did what they could to help their younger siblings and they taught them everything that they knew, but They had been so abused themselves that they essentially just kept up the status quo. In 2008, when Louise had just turned 40, her life seemed to take a sharp turn. Although her and David had been pretty religious in their own way, they had abstained from alcohol their entire lives, they started to go out and party. They even tried having an open marriage, and Louise started sleeping with some random men that she met at bars or on MySpace, something that David seemed totally okay with and even encouraged. They would take trips out to Las Vegas and go on gambling benches often. But the fun times caught up with them in 2010, when David lost his high-paying job and they once again had to file for bankruptcy. About a month later, while the bank was going through the process of foreclosing on their Rio Vista property, Luis and David returned to their home, where their children had lived without them, and they packed all of the children into a passenger van along with whatever belongings they could fit. And without telling anyone, they left Texas forever. After a while, their neighbors across the street who had once tried to befriend them realized that the turbans were gone, and They went over to the house and made their way inside the abandoned home. They found it filled knee-high with filth. 
Among the trash and feces, they also found several corpses of cats and dogs, pets that the Turpins had just left behind. The bank spent three months getting the property presentable enough just to resell it at an auction. The new owners of the property then spent an additional $30,000 just to get it livable. By then, the Turpins had moved into a five-bedroom rental home in Riverside County, California. They decided on California because Luis had a plan. Her family was going to land a reality show and be the next John and Kate plus eight. Because the children were required to go to school somewhere, David officially registered their home as the City Day School and appointed himself as principal. Now, due to regulations, because the school had more than six students, the local fire marshal was required to make yearly visits to inspect the premises. But, as you might guess, those visits never happened. And again, the abuse escalated further. David and Louise got into the habit of tying and chaining the children to their beds. They did this because things started to go missing from their room or food would go missing from the kitchen. Any of the children that they suspected were stealing, quote-unquote, would be chained to their beds for days or weeks at a time. One of the children, Jonathan, was chained up so often that he developed permanent spinal damage. In January of 2011, David was finally able to land another job as a software engineer, and in 2014, the family was able to buy a four-bedroom home in Paris, California. If you're unfamiliar with Paris, California, it's spelled P-E-R-R-I-S, not P-A-R-I-S, like the French city. It's located in Riverside County, and it's best known for skydiving. The arid desert climate with its very flat landscape makes it really the perfect skydiving place year-round. The home that the Turpins bought was located at 160 Mere Woods Road. Shortly after, Louise gave birth to their final child and first child in 10 years, a girl they named Jana. In 2013, the Turpins packed up all of their children, gave them their yearly bath, and headed to Las Vegas to renew their vows. They had purchased a package at a little chapel called a Elvis Chapel, and it allowed them to have a ceremony performed by an Elvis impersonator, who then sang a few Elvis songs after the ceremony. The whole thing was videotaped, and the children were all dressed the same, with the boys all having the same bowl haircut as their father. The children were really thin and lanky, and they all appeared much younger than their actual ages. Although the workers at the chapel found the family very odd, they didn't think much of it, and they didn't see signs of physical abuse. Louise Turpin planned to use the videotaped vowel renewal ceremony as a pitch for their reality show. By then, several of the Turpin children were adult-aged, but despite this, they were still not allowed to leave the home. They were subject to the same rules and tortures that the other children were enduring. Although slowly, they were granted some more freedoms. Some of the older children were given cell phones, but were strictly forbidden from being on social media sites. For Christmas in 2017, Joshua Turpin was given a new cell phone, and he gave his old cell phone, which had no SIM card, to his younger sister, Jordan. 
Jordan figured out how to connect the phone to the home's Wi-Fi and started to get a glimpse of the world outside of their filthy home. She found Twitter and YouTube, and she was inspired by videos of Justin Bieber. She was really creative, and she had written well over a hundred songs herself. She started uploading videos of herself under the pseudonym Lacey Swan of her singing her songs. Once she saw what life could be like, she started to put together a plan for how to save herself and her siblings from the hell that they had endured their entire lives. Around that same time, David found out that his work was transferring his role to Oklahoma City and the family began to prepare to move. Jordan and the rest of the siblings were terrified of the move and all of the unknown factors that came along with it. She knew that she had to act fast in order to save herself and her siblings. So before sunrise, on January 14th, 2018, Jennifer gave Jordan her working cell phone with a SIM card, and Jordan snuck out of the house through a window. She had never been allowed to just walk around the neighborhood by herself before, and she didn't know where to go. But after walking a few blocks, she dialed 911 at 5.51 a.m. The dispatcher had a kind of hard time understanding Jordan because of the strange accent that she had developed after not interacting with anyone outside of the home for her entire life. Jordan told the dispatcher that her parents were torturing her and her siblings and that at that very moment, two of her sisters were chained up inside the house. The dispatcher continued asking Jordan questions as police were on their way to her. And when she was asked if there was any medication in the house, Jordan responded that she didn't know what the word medication meant. When police arrived at Jordan's location, she showed them pictures of her sisters chained up in bed. Police immediately went to the Turpin home and knocked on the door. Body cam footage from one of the police officers is available, and it shows Louise and David answering the door in their pajamas after the police had knocked, but it took them a while to answer the door. We now know that during that time, they were ordering the older children to unchain the children that were chained up and to hide the chains. When they finally did answer the door, they acted like nothing was wrong and that the house was a mess only because they were getting ready to move. Luckily, police saw right through that and they were able to enter the home to check on the children. Police found the chains that had been haphazardly thrown into closets and they also found one children who was still chained to his bed. Luis and David were read their rights and arrested immediately. All 13 of the Turpin children were brought to the Corona Regional Medical Center to be assessed. All besides the two-year-old baby were found to be severely underweight, malnourished, and cognitively impaired. The years of malnourishment had left permanent damage on their bodies, and the eldest daughters would likely never be able to have children due to the damage. Back at the home, cadaver dogs were brought in to search through the filth for any human remains, just in case there had been other children, but luckily none were found. Cadaver dogs were also brought to the Rio Vista property, but again, no human remains were found. News stories across the U.S. picked up on this story, and there was a huge outpouring of support for the Turpin 13, as the children were now known. 
social services were assigned to the children. The adults were sent to a supervised living facility, the location of which still remains completely unknown, and the remaining six children were placed into two separate foster homes, with three in each home. Luis and David Turpin were charged with multiple counts of several crimes, including child abuse, false imprisonment, and torture. On February 22nd, 2019, David and Luis Turpin each agreed to plead guilty to 14 felony charges against each of them. In exchange for the guilty pleas, they were both sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. They will be eligible for parole in 2044. The home at 160 Mirwoods Road in Paris became known as the Turpin House of Horrors after what happened there was discovered. The home was sold and renovated and resold off the market, but pictures are available on real estate websites and they show a glittering kitchen and clean walls. The bedrooms that once had bunk beds with chains and were so dirty that feces was spread on the walls, in these pictures, they once again look completely innocent. The physical evidence that 13 children endured hell inside of those four walls have been washed away and painted over, but the mental and physical abuse to the Turpin 13 aren't so easily repaired. If you suspect a child is being neglected or abused, please contact your local authorities so that someone can check on them. The Turpin 13 were failed by the system over and over, but you can be the difference in the life of an abused child just by making a call. Thank you for listening to this Morbid Tourism episode about the Turpin House of Horrors. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe to Morbid Tourism on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave a rating or review. Let us know what you think. New episodes will be released weekly. Between episodes, you can visit morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. Follow us on Instagram at morbidtourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, 2020, The Turpin 13 on Oxygen, and the book The Family Next Door by John Glatt.